I'm your host, Carrie Arata, Akashic Records reader, psychic sleuth, and spiritual guide. And this is The Infinite Dance, the Akashic podcast. Happy snowy Tuesday to you all, or this is the day I'm at least recording this intro and outro. (laughs) I actually recorded the 13th episode on the 13th. So yesterday, I did my interview with a special guest that I'll have for you here in just a moment. I did want to send out some extra healing thoughts, prayers of ease to everybody. Um, I know last week I had a really tough time emotionally and even had a panic attack. It was just one thing after the other. And I think when things happen like that and heighten, you know, old triggers come in and, you know, how we deal with one thing after another, right? A snowball effect. I also want to send extra healing and ask all of you to keep um, a friend of mine and her husband in your thoughts and prayers. He, my friend's husband is in the hospital in ICU with pneumonia from complications due to COVID. Let's keep them in highlight that he heals very soon and pushes through this very scary time in their lives. I also wanted to talk about all the planets that went into alignment yesterday. So when we have a lot of planets going into alignment, it's a great time to manifest. And I just want to send out, you know, it is tidbit Tuesday today, um, a little tip on making sure when you're manifesting that you're speaking only of what you actually want, not what you don't. And use phrases like I am. I am free or I am healthy or I am in abundance with my business. Just use terms like that while you're manifesting because especially when we have so much support from high realm and the universe. We want to make sure we're, we're actually putting out there exactly what we want. And without further chatting on my part, let's get into this wonderful conversation I had with Neil McKinley, meditation expert and guide. He has been studying meditation for 40 years and I really, really enjoyed his insights on all things getting still. Enjoy. All right. So today I have Bill McKinley joining us talking about one of my favorite things, meditation. Welcome, Neil. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks very much, Carrie. It's great to be here. Yay. You got into meditation through movement, correct? Through swimming? Through swimming. Yeah. I was a competitive swimmer when I was a kid. I was competitive swimmer through my teenage years. And um, we were away at a swim meet in Vancouver. And I think maybe as a cost saving measure, but what we did is rather than getting it, you know, individual hotel rooms, we got two conference rooms for the team and the girls stayed in one conference room with a mom and the boys stayed in another conference room with the relatively new, somewhat weird, hippy dippy assistant coach. And the assistant coach Uh, on the Saturday night that we were there. And I remember it was dark, it was rainy, it was cold. On that Saturday night, he taught us how to meditate. He got us to sit on our rolled up sleeping bags and he kept us up far too late and taught us how to meditate. And it was just intriguing from the get-go. It was like, oh, this is really something. And 
you know, I, I stayed with it. So it, it started as uh, came out of my involvement in competitive swimming. Wow. And you did it, though, the first time, obviously not in water. Not in water. Um, you know, we did it, like I said, eight floors up downtown Vancouver in a hotel room sitting on um, our sleeping bags. But probably the most obvious motivation, I think there were probably several about why we were being taught this. Probably the most obvious motivation was so that we would use it in that context surrounding the water so it was so that we could you know settle our mind as we were beginning to getting ready for a race settle our mind as we were standing up on the block settle our mind you know so that we could be more present to what we were doing that's amazing and how um insightful and rare i think to have a, a coach come up with that you know let's let's try to get into calming the mind and knowing that connection with the body. Yeah, it was really actually quite an interesting time. You know, there were, there was, this was the assistant coach I'm speaking to. There was a head coach as well. And they were both very interested in and open to um, the mind aspect of what we were doing. And, you know, it wasn't necessarily revolutionary, but it was somewhat rare at the time. This was the late 1970s, the early 1980s, and we were doing um, relaxation protocols. We were in meditation was introduced. Um, suddenly the light goes on. You know, they were actually um, highlighting the fact that what's going on for our mind, how our mind is behaving whether our mind is settled or not settled actually affects our lives. I mean, they were interested in a very narrow aspect of our lives, but you know, it affects our lives. And that's what we were exploring all those years ago. So cool. I mean, a sidebar, I could have used that because I've been a performer my whole life. And I think the thing that scared me the most out of all of my performing or all my activities was being on the starting block and hearing yeah. that coming off. I would be in the, I'd be in the dressing or the, locker rooms pounding Pepto because I was in, like my my stomach was in such knots you know so having that mindfulness of a coach saying hey let's calm your mind let's get focused let's you know that's just so way cool way cool and I, I'm going to say that it, it 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 had the potential to be helpful in all honesty and I'm going to take full responsibility myself you know I wasn't very good at it at the time not that I'm very good at it now but I, I think I'm a little bit more familiar after 40 years of engaging this work a little bit more familiar with my mind and with what my mind's up to and with the practice of actually coming back at the time, um, like you, I tended to be just overwhelmed as soon as I stood on the block. Yeah. <laughs> so potentially helpful and, you know, maybe not so much in the short term, but it, in the long term, it's had a huge effect on my life. Right. That's where it started. And, you know, speaking of that, like, am I good at it? Am I doing it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. something I get I hear from so many people. Like, I don't think I'm doing it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. if you sat down or laid down where whatever you're doing and you're just stopping, I feel like you're you've arrived. Yeah. I mean, I think it maybe like so many things, you know, meditation. I, again, I'll just stay personal. I make it more complicated than it needs to be. And mm. as a result when I look at what's going on in my meditative experience, I judge it poorly. I judge myself poorly. Like, am I doing it? Probably not. Okay. I'm bad at this. Like I'm bad at so many things, but all meditation does is you all meditation involves, as you just pointed out is connecting with our immediate experience. So if we're nervous right now, cause you know, we're early in the interview. So I'm really still nervous. If we're nervous and we come back and we connect with that nervousness, well, yeah, that's meditation. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Reflecting. Connecting. You know, reflecting on, on our, on our experience, you know, yeah. and that's what I try to tell my clients too, is, you know, if you've done that, you're, you're, you're doing great. You're doing it. And there's no, there's no expectation about what it should look like. I mean, like many people, I have ideas about what meditation should look like. Like I should be peaceful. I should be open. I should be relaxed. My heart should be, you know, receiving other people and so on and so forth. And that happens sometimes. That's great. 
But again, what we're doing with meditation fundamentally is simply connecting with what's going on right now. And so if I'm nervous right now, you know, with like you had mentioned um, before we started the lawn people doing their, you know, loud lawn. So yeah. I feel like sometimes I'm like, can I connect to that? So I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to come back because I don't know if I want to hear, you know, that while I'm trying to meditate. But sometimes I really am like, okay, it's part of the environment. Yeah. I, yeah. That's a great point. I mean, you know, that coming back includes our sense experience. So yes. And we did talk about this before we started the yeah. lawnmower and the weed eaters going outside the window here. That's, you know, part of the immediate moment. And so if that's what I come back and find, that's what I come back and find. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Which is, you know, maybe really helpful, like, uh, as we're coming into this holiday season, to understand that, you know, if we're with our family, and we're having a bit of a hard time, you know, engaging meditation doesn't mean we're going to come back to our experience, and suddenly our difficult family is going to disappear. <laughs> They're still going to be there. Right. And that's the practice. It's totally the practice. You know, I was just telling my sister the other day, because we met up for dinner to talk about Christmas Eve and our family stuff. And I said, you know, just us coming together, you know, now, and we're not the super closest, but we definitely both value extended families and spending time. And I said, just us coming together and being open to talk and being open to listen is mm -hmm. healing, starting to heal the wounds or heal the hurt, the different aspects that we're face to face with. I mean, you say that and I can actually feel it. My heart's just like, oh yes, just being willing to be and able to be present to some extent in that moment and be willing to receive an offer, as you heard said, you know, speak and hear. It's a good space to be in and a good space to acknowledge, I think, like that too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I really love, personally, I love what you've just said, because of course, I myself am coming into the holiday season. And so to hold that perspective is, I think, going to be really affecting. Yeah. And like you said, sometimes it's not so easy. <laughs> sometimes it's not so easy. And that's not easy, but it's okay. It's, it's part of yeah. our lives. It is. It is part of our lives, even the hard stuff. When I get a lot of clients or friends or colleagues saying, you know, I really have a hard time meditating, or I'm not sure if I'm doing it right. Or, you know, I meditate when I run, you know, mm -hmm. I meditate mm -hmm. when I'm working out. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, no, that's great. Um, you know, but there are two different kinds of meditation because you're going to get two different things from it. Yeah. Right. Because when we're still with our dense being, then the higher self can receive differently. You know, when mm -hmm. we're moving, we're receiving in a different way also. So are, is that something you address with your clients? Yeah, it comes up with um, a certain amount of regularity. It's probably, it's probably not in the top 10, but definitely in the top quest 20 questions I get, you know, okay. is fill in the blank meditation. And because I come from the background I come from, you know, I was a swimmer. I learned how to meditate in that context. I have given a lot of thought and reflection to, well, is swimming meditation? Is it the same thing as sitting down on the cushion and doing a formal meditation practice? And um, it's been a really interesting, really rich exploration. And I think the answer is, you know, something like swimming or running or biking or journaling or um, knitting or, you know, gardening, fill in the blank. It has meditative qualities. It's very, it, it overlaps with some of our meditative experience, but it's not actually meditation practice. And the difference for me is that what meditation offers us, and maybe this begins to move into the territory you were pointing toward a few seconds ago, meditation offers us a formal technique that is designed to bring our attention back to our immediate experience and allow us to begin to receive the richness of that experience, whether it's the fact that we're ner I'm nervous right now or something you know, more vast and universal. Something like swimming, that's not the purpose of swimming. It's not designed to do that. It's designed to do something else. But because I can focus when I'm swimming or running or writing, the settling that 
we have, we enjoy in meditation, we can also find in swimming and we can also find in running and we can also find in writing. But the technique the, to hold us isn't there. It happens sometimes when we swim because it happens sometimes when we swim. Meditation is specifically about bringing us back, letting us settle into our lives, and then letting us receive the fullness of these lives from the, the nervousness in our fingertips to well, the divine. Yeah, most definitely. Very well put. I really like that elements in you know, of meditation in the tasks or in. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also helpful, even though I've, I've said this, I think it's helpful to really acknowledge and cultivate that overlap. Like, okay, I'm focused on doing the dishes right now. As I direct my attention toward this task, wow, notice how I'm kind of beginning to settle in. You know, sometimes we'll say, if we're talking to friends over coffee or something, we'll say, oh, washing the dishes really grounds us or, you know, washing the dishes or going for a run, you know, really helps me settle and relax. We're acknowledging, you know, kind of some of the meditative overlap of those activities. And I think it's really helpful to understand, acknowledge and cultivate that because you know what, we're not going to be able to engage formal meditation practice, you know, for much in our days, because many of us are busy with other duties and responsibilities. Sure. Sure. I know. I, I, for one, will fill favorite dish soap or whatever, because I like the scent and then, you know, kind of, yeah. Um, and it, it feels a bit meditative and this could be a little judgy on myself, but then sometimes I feel like I'm also diverting maybe something I do need to sit and work on yeah. right? in a more specific way or direct way, which yeah. allows. Yeah. I mean, meditation, you know, because we have the, you know, meditation gives us this formal set of instructions for how we're doing what we're doing. It allows a kind of blurry openness at the edges of our awareness that allows or a porous openness at the edges of our awareness that allows, you know, the more difficult stuff to come in for attention. Whereas, yeah, sometimes if I'm engaging some other activity, I'll actually harden those perforated edges so I don't have to deal with it. Which, you know, is appropriate sometimes, but ultimately they, these parts of our lives do want and need attention. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I agree whenever we can, you know, squeeze in a bit of meditation, you know, in a day. Yeah. It's, that's great. And it, I think it really can help to just kind of be a little bit of a refresher too. Yeah. Day, maybe or overwhelmed day. Well, it's something I say to the people I work with is, you know, there's really two ways to engage this work. And I think in my experience, it's helpful to engage both. And one is formal meditation practice. Okay. It's 1230 right now. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to engage this formal technique and I'm going to meditate in this formal way for 30 minutes. You know, great. That's one way. And then the other way is more informally. What um, the Buddhist nun Pema Chodron calls on the spot practice, which is just coming back to the fact of our life over and over and over again, as we've been saying, okay, I'm washing dishes. I can feel the warm water. I can smell the, the soap that I like. I can feel my shoulders relaxing into this or tensing against this, you know, using those as opportunities to come back and connect as well. And in my experience, um, that formulation, engaging both formally and informally on the cushion practice, if you will, and on, on the spot practice, these kind of work really well together. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And that's another one of our connections. I am a huge student of Pema's. <laughs> too. Oh, really? Yeah. So I just think she is so amazing. So. She has a real gift at phrasing the Buddhist teachings, presenting the Buddhist teachings in a way that encouraged me to relax and open and receive and be curious about my life. I mean, that's one of her catchphrases, right? Be curious. Be curious and laugh. I mean, and I remember laugh. the first time I read um, Start Where You Are, you know, I was like giggling. I think I was in my 20s. I was just giggling through the whole book. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. You know, yeah. I had read was very more serious or just didn't have that component. 
No, and I, one of the things I love about, you know, the laughter I experience when I'm reading, you know, Pema Chodron's teachings, it's not because she's cracked a joke particularly, it's because she's talked about something that happened in her life uh-huh. and highlighted, you know, some ridiculous thing that we human beings do over and over and over again. And it's like, oh, I so know that experience. Yeah. And it's not judgmental. It's not critical. It's like, I so know that experience with a smile on my face and a twinkle in my eye. Yeah. 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 Very, very gifted at, 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 in that area. Of not being judgmental. To not being judgmental. Yeah. Others. I mean, she really, yeah. So huge student of hers. So that's really cool. Yeah, she was actually really informative in terms of my own development uh, sometime in the mid-1990s. So we talked about my introduction to the practice. And eventually, you know, it was kind of loose and free form for a long time. Eventually, I started to give form to my work with meditation, you know, studying formal curriculum, going on long retreats. And one of my experiences was was with Pema Chodron in the early to mid 1990s, I did what was called a city retreat with her city C-I-T-Y. And this was, you know, before the internet, before email, before Zoom, she would give a teaching in Berkeley on Monday night, it would be videotaped, FedExed out to communities around the world. And then we watched it here in Victoria, that Monday night teaching we watched on Wednesday night. And she would give us assignments for the week, like read this, meditate this much and think about this in your everyday. And so it was a retreat that we were doing within the context of daily living within jobs and families and dishes and runs and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was so affecting that meditation and everyday life could come together rather than, you know, and I think there's a lot of value in this rather than saying, okay, everybody, I'm going away on retreat. And you're not going to see me for seven days or 10 days or whatever it might be. She was saying, okay, we're going to stay engaged in our everyday life. And we're going to practice and study deep. Even now telling you this, I'm like, this is so amazing. So she's been very, very influential to, for me. And she really, you know, walks her talk, start where you are. Here we yeah. are, we're in the city. We're, we're here, we're there, we're all over the world. But let's come and do the work. Yeah. You know, whatever you're doing. So that's so perfect. It was so, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We have to address, because I'm sure you hear this a lot too, the monkey mind. The monkey mind. The monkey mind. Monkey mind. I mean, monkey mind in many ways is, it's one way of understanding what meditation's working with is it's this monkey mind, this mind that tends to wander or that won't stay put, that tends to grab onto this and that and the next thing and causes a lot of you know suffering and agitation in our lives. Now, I'm sure at this point, everyone's like, oh yeah, I know that mind. But you know, if by chance you don't know that mind, I'd really encourage you to go on YouTube and search for uh, Gilmore Girls, the TV show, Gilmore Girls, Monkey, Monkey, Underpants. <laughs> Gilmore Girls, Monkey, Monkey, Underpants. It's about a two-minute clip, and Lorelai Gilmore shows you what monkey mind is. Oh and God. it's a brilliant teaching on what monkey mind is. And what it does is it, it gets in our way to, you know, from a Buddhist perspective, you could say it causes suffering, it causes stress, it causes tension, causes anxiety, and it gets in our way of really being present with our effort. So by way of an example, let's flesh this out with an example. You know, just before we started, and we've already kind of hinted towards this here, just before we started, my monkey mind just went crazy. I was sitting down and getting everything ready. Well, I had gotten everything ready. And so I was sitting down waiting for us to come together here. And just outside my window, the lawnmower started and the weed eater started and the leaf blower started. And my mind was just completely panicked. What am I going to do? This is going to go poorly. Carrie's going to think badly of me. Oh my gosh. Like goes my mind. You know, where this becomes a difficulty for me where this becomes a problem for me is when I'm so caught up in all that, that I'm not actually doing what I can do because I'm so freaked out. Wow. So it's like, okay, this is an interview about meditation. Maybe you should remember to meditate. So it's like, okay, come back. And it's like, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm really freaked out. And there are things I can do. 
So it's like, okay, I close the window, I draw the blinds, I close the curtains, I pull the mic as close to my mouth as I can possibly get it. I turn down the gain so that it's only picking up my voice. I've done everything that I can do. And then my mind goes again, oh my gosh, you know, Carrie's going to think this is just wholly inappropriate. The interview is going to go badly. You know, it's not going to happen, blah, 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 blah. And meditation just was an invitation to, okay, come back to how burningly uncomfortable I am and recognize that all of those thoughts really are, they don't have a lot of bearing in this situation. I don't know how Carrie's going to respond. I don't know how the mic's going to pick up that sound. I don't know whether everything I've done is going to make a difference. So let's just wait here and see. And what happened was I started to actually just relax into what was going on for me a little bit. I didn't relax out of it. I didn't become suddenly comfortable, still was really uncomfortable, but I started to relax into that. And that wandering mind wasn't so gripping for me. And so it wasn't driving how I was in the world quite the way it was a few minutes ago or a few minutes earlier when I was just sitting here panicking, not doing anything of the th any of the things that I might actually do to address the situation. So that's monkey mind and meditation. It doesn't get rid of it, but it helps us disengage from that to a certain extent, become more present to the immediacy of our experience, and then have a little bit of a chance of doing something different, of responding a bit more appropriately, of closing the window, closing the blinds, closing the drapes and adjusting the mic. And, and what a perfect way to, to give yourself that little teaching too. Okay, come back to your practice, <laughs> you know, so that, <laughs> and, and, you know, not be so hard on self, right? Yes. That there's some things we can't control like the gardeners. Yes. Doing their, their, their loudness. And, you know, you can fall into, it's going to be fine. Yep. I've done what I can. The next step is to come on screen with Carrie and see how the situation is. And the situation's been fine. And I've been, when I hear people say the monkey mind. And so when I would meditate on my own or the idea of that and how it, you know, I can take that and be a little bit more helpful with a client or, or somebody mm -hmm. who's letting me know that and more identifying it as like a monkey ego. Okay, mm -hmm. so where can we start to peel back the layers blocking or what's shielding or what's, you know, doing these things that's keeping us from the work we need to be doing, like the inner work, reflection or question. You know, I think a lot of times people say, I, I don't, I don't know how to connect to that archangel. I don't know how to connect to that guide. And I'm always like, just start asking questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like if you're connecting to your people, you're going to get answers to the questions you need, but you have to ask the questions mm -hmm. because it's just, I mean, there's just so much. Out and it, it seems so basic to maybe this gets back to what we were talking about e earlier about how I make meditation more complicated than it needs to be. But it's so basic. There's this Tibetan term for meditation that I love, GOM, G-O-M. And it means to become familiar with. And I love that definition of meditation because it's so practical and it's so earthy and it's so immediate. And so I become familiar with my experience. And through that familiarity, through all those you know, hours, many hours of practice through that familiarity, I recognize exactly the dynamic you're talking about. Okay, I'm caught up in doubt and uncertainty and um, self-denigration in this work. Like that's so helpful to see. And it uh, kind of perforates that caught upness and allows something like your instruction. Okay, Neil, just ask a question to get, and then I can, so it's so how just becoming familiar with the fact that I'm caught up a lot it, it has some power to it. It perforates the caught upness and allows something different, something very often helpful, like Neil, just ask the question to come through. So then we are doing the work. Right. Well, and you know, when we do get caught up and this is what I like sitting in on other friends' meditations or, you know, other colleagues 
guided meditations or circles is that sometimes when we are caught up or we're dealing with a certain issue, we forget the littlest things, you know, the littlest, like ask a question or right. The little things that help and receiving when you're in that receiving space, you, you, you get that reminder, you know, to come back to breath or to come back to being kind to self. That's a, that's a really great point. I mean, I'm not sure I've ever actually seen that, but it's exact, you're exactly right. Or made that connection that when I'm caught up, just thinking about my own experience, when I'm caught up, I'm, I'm not receptive to those reminders that life is constantly offering. And when I'm a little bit present and the, that caught upness is perforated, yeah, that's so true. Those reminders have a little bit more room to come through. So in spite of what I said a few minutes ago, I actually never made that connection in my life. Oh, wow. That's, that's so, that's so cool. It's just, um, I've been playing with more and I've always been a receiver of energy body work and value mm -hmm. that, um, or teachings, uh, someone like Pema or, you know, a teacher I see, um, you know, weekly or every two weeks for trainings on whatever I'm doing. Being in that space of, okay, I'm going to sit and receive something. You know, like I went and had body work done a couple weeks ago and I didn't know this person. I knew the place and I thought I was just getting an hour massage, standard massage. Great. I just need a little, whatever. Just focus on everything on my spine, shoulders, neck, hands, arms. And hold, she does cranial sacral work. So she did a lot of work on connecting those two and with the cranial work you know, they kind of move the sutures around in your head mm -hmm. that she was able to give me that helped me. Oh, okay. Cause I went and soaked. It was a hot springs place. So then I went and soaked. So I kind of take all that into then my meditation in the soaking. And it was like, oh, this is wonderful. Right. Cause sometimes you do, you, even though if you know, to ask a question, maybe you don't know what question to ask. <laughs> So it's like, well, am I even asking a question or am I asking the one that's going to be the most beneficial? <laughs> that's true. That's very true. You know, it is, it's, it's really enriching to begin to develop enough presence in one's life to recognize what you're just pointing to, that these teachings, instructions, insights, revelations, grace, whatever we want to call it, they're constantly arriving in our lives whether it's through, you know, a, a lawnmower out the window or a sink of dirty dishes or, you know, our cranial sacral worker, that there are these instructions for how we might be in the world that in a more full and rich way that are constantly coming our way. Having an idea or a place for meditation or stillness. Yeah. Help us get to that a little more. Yeah. I've, that's been certainly my experience that, that a little bit of time in our day for meditation practice. And, you know, as you just pointed out, we don't need to call it meditation practice. We can call it stillness or presence or openness or, you know, whatever resonates for us, but taking that time to just come back to this and come back to here and come back to now. And it doesn't need to be much. I mean, back to Pema Chodron. I love it when she says, you know, just do that for a tenth of a second. You know, maybe tomorrow you'll do it for two tenths. I hear that and I'm like, I can do that. It doesn't have to be so long. You no. know, I think one of my first meditations I experienced, I, I think I, um, I didn't, I think, I don't think I actually left my body, mm -hmm. you know, and I was living near the ocean at the time and I was floating over the ocean and it was amazing. And my roommate at the time was sitting in the room and she could feel it too. And, you know, times I've meditated though, that doesn't always happen where I get no. out in, you know, other dimension, you know, thinking I'm there for 20 minutes and an hour passes, I'm crying, cry, you know, and that doesn't always happen. <laughs> no, it's like, you know, meditation in some ways is like the ultimate practice of acceptance because you never know what you're going to get. Do you remember there was a years ago, there was an animated commercial for uh, uh, cracker treat thing called bits and bites. And it, so this guy is hanging out in a hammock and bits and bites is like, a, a I don't know what you'd call it, a cracker mix. You get like cheese sticks and garlic balls and spice rings all mixed together. And the commercial was 
you know, this guy's in his hammock, he's laying back and he goes, you know, you put your hand in the box and you pull it out and you got three cheese sticks and two garlic balls and one spice ring. And you put it in again and it's a whole new ball game, four cheese sticks and no garlic balls. That's meditation. Yeah. You know, you just never know what you're going to get. You don't. You no. don't. Always a surprise. It's always a surprise, which is, you know, this great practice in acceptance, this great practice in humility too, because, you know, well, I've been meditating for 40 years, so I'm really good at accepting, <laughs> but no, not so much. So it's like, okay, well, let's come back to the basic instructions and see if I can actually accept this handful of bits and bites that's showing up for me. Yeah. It, I think no matter how long you've been doing it, like you said, 40 years, you know, even if you've had a lesson and that you've worked with of acceptance, say, does it apply to, you know, maybe you went through some big thing 10 years ago, but you're going through something now and does it apply the same? And are you able to apply it? Think of yeah. it, right? So it's like re, not necessarily negotiating, but, you know, re um, interacting with it, you know, where you are now. You know, yeah, in a fresh, in the moment way. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't know about your experience, you know, sometimes I'll have something difficult from my past in my meditation practice, and how I thought about it, how I understood it, how I engaged it in the past is completely irrelevant to what's going on now. And so, like you say, there's kind of a renegotiate. It's kind of like meeting an old friend for coffee, right? You, know, you, need, you need to sit down and reintroduce yourself to this part of your life, as opposed to remembering what it was like, you know, 20 years ago when you first met. So there is a renegotiation that goes on. That's true. I think there is. I think that was a good term that came, that just kind of popped in. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It's very, and why meditation why meditate as if our lives mattered? Ah, why <laughs> meditate? This was a phrase, you know, someone asked me not too long ago. I, I, I'm going to paraphrase it. I don't think this is exactly what they asked, but you know, how I heard it, what do our lives med- have to do with meditation? What does meditation have to do with our, our lives? And for some reason, that question sort of stuck in the back of my head. And I have found myself reflecting on it for quite some time and, you know, realizing that For me, it's important to meditate as if my life matters, meaning for me, it's important for me to meditate, seeing meditation in everyday life as interpenetrating and influencing one another, as opposed to them being very separate. And I have this default to seeing them as very separate. Like there's my quiet time over there on my cushion. And then here's the rest of my life. But I think that it's, it's really important to actually meditate as if our lives matter. Meditate as if our lives are part of this practice. That the lineup at the um, Department of Motor Vehicles and the pile of dirty dishes and the lovely afternoon in the hot springs, these are all part of our practice lives. These are all opportunities for us to come back and connect and settle and, you know, using a word you've used a number of times to receive what's actually happening. And that's something that I think it it kind of permeates all of my work right now is working to blur this distinction between meditation over here and everyday life over there to encourage others to do this blurring. And then, you know, to foster an environment of hopefully of humility and integrity and respect where we can do that work together and take this stuff out into our lives and take our lives back into our meditation practice. I think that's so important and seeing that, that they, they can, and they should, you know, overlap. Yeah. Because, you know, it all affects each other and every situation. It, it does, you know, I mean, I just think if I'm, I'm going to come back to this notion of gone becoming familiar in a really cratchety mood. And because of my meditation practice, I'm actually able to see that I'm in a really cratchety mood. It might encourage me to kind of bite my tongue in an interaction with a friend where I notice that I just want to say something cratchety because I'm cratchety. That's very different than just acting impulsively on the cratchetiness. That has a very different footprint in the world. It affects me. It affects the other person. It probably affects the next person that that person interacts with. Um, you know, that's just a simple everyday example. 
the you know value of bringing these two together ah, the value of it how valuable it sure is in all um what would you like like people to know kind of like as an overall summation maybe um about meditation and having a meditation practice that really doesn't take much mm. and that we can do it you know if you start meditating once a day for one minute. I mean, that's one minute that you weren't meditating before. And if you do that, you know, 300 days out of the year, that's 300 minutes in the year that you weren't, um, that you weren't meditating before. And as we've talked about, that then has an effect on our own lives, and it has an effect on other people's lives. And, you know, you could say, well, that sounds nice, but and I can fit a minute in, I can do that. But I don't know how to practice. And I don't want to look around for, you know, one minute resources online. Well, the one minute instruction would be to just that wandering attention, that monkey mind attention that we talked about, and just bring it back to your experience of embodiment, your experience of being here, your experience of your body, your senses, the earth underneath. And when your mind wanders, bring it back again. It's as simple as that. So it doesn't take much. It's a really simple practice with profound effects. And um, we can be kind with ourselves about this. So that's maybe three things. We don't need to beat ourselves up because we think we're not so good or inflate ourselves because we think we're great at this. We can just let it be what it is. Taking a moment, one minute, to come back to the sense of body, sense of senses, sense of earth. Just connect and settle. And then let that percolate out and have an effect on our lives. Uh, and, you know, you kind of brought me there right right then and there too. Like, I'm like, all right, are we going into a meditative <laughs> state, you know? And I yeah. kept thinking, boy, and you can even have fun. Because if you are, you know, feeling the earth under you, mind wanders off, you wander away. Well, how do you wander back, you skeptia? Are you swimming? <laughs> and that's another, and, you know, uh, you know, to ourselves. And I think that could be another huge discussion is how do we as a collective get to be so hard on ourselves? Oh, that's know? a really great question because it yeah. seems so true. We're so hard on ourselves and so hard on others. We are, especially and, for little things or helpful things, you know, like something, a tool like we have, I believe, you know, meditation or using our breath intentionally are things we have you yeah. know, in us. And, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, so hard on ourselves. And again, maybe part of the value of meditation is softening that hardness. And how does that happen? You know, just recognizing that we tend to be hard on ourselves and hard on others. And what does that mean? For me, one of the things it means is that I tend to come to conclusions about oh, others and then kind of solidify around them. That's one of the aspects of monkey mind is a gripping, a solidifying. So, you know, a couple of days ago, a friend of mine, just let me know a little bit more specifically about one of the way, some of the ways that they'd been struggling lately. And it was really humbling because I realized, you know, this was all actually right in front of me, but I didn't really see it because I had gripped onto this version of them that was different from that struggle. And just recognizing, wow, you know, not being hard on myself, thinking I'm a bad person and gripping onto that, but just recognizing, wow, I'd, I'd kind of been hard on them in how I was seeing them and just let that soften and let that open and let their struggle or whatever it is in a little bit more. Maybe that's what kindness is, is letting ourselves and letting others in a little bit more. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because solidifying a conclusion that is limiting probably isn't going to do anybody in, no. in the long run. No, but, you know, conclusions are, are helpful things. We were talking about this a little bit at the beginning or, you know, before we came on air. You know, a conclusion can be a helpful thing, right? You know, this is, for instance, a plan is a conclusion. You know, okay, here's what I'm going to do today to get ready for tomorrow. Okay, that can be a helpful thing. And then where we get into difficulty is when we solidify and we don't let that plan adapt and be flexible when reality suggests something's different is going on. And that's what we're talking about here with others is sure, you know, I have a conclusion about, 
you know, who you are, how you are, what you're going to say next, all that kind of stuff. And that's no problem, but just let it be flexible and permeable and open as opposed to, you know, uh, wallpapered shut. Right. Right. Cause you just don't know until you just start interacting. <laughs> Cause you just don't know whatever it is. You just don't know. You don't know until you start to engage. Yeah. So- so cool. And even then, all you know is what's happening right in that moment. So yeah. you don't know the next thing. So it's so interesting. Yeah, there's a knowing in this moment, but it just is in this moment. And then it's don't know again. Right, right. And that's why with, you know, the interviews too, I'm always like, okay, let's be a little spontaneous. We'll see where it'll take. We'll have a little outline, but you know, if there's something we need to engage more on. Yeah. Yeah, well, fine. Well, it, 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 which is one of the things I love about doing these interviews because we end up going in territories that, you know, I had never expected to go. And, you know, back to our comments about, you know, teachings existing in our everyday lives, I learned things about this work that I've been doing for 40 years that I hadn't known before or hadn't been aware of before. I mean, what a gift is that? Right. It's like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Yeah so nice to have that space. Yeah. Yeah. So nice. How can people reach you to begin or continue to journey in meditation? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in all the usual places, Facebook and Instagram and insight timer. My podcast is on, which is bringing meditation to life is on, um, Amazon and Spotify and a few others. The main way though, to check me out is, you know, my website, that's the most thorough way to get a sense of, you know, what I'm up to and what I'm offering. Um, my website is neilmckinley.com and, uh, McKinley is M C K I N L A Y. Most McKinley's are L E Y, but I'm an L A Y. And it really gives you an overview of everything that I'm doing from guided meditations to writings on meditation and life to the free to join living meditation network. And then this thing called the online gatherings, which is a subscription based um, community that meets several times a week during zoom. We have recordings, we have interactions with one another. And what we're doing there is exploring these questions that we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes or an hour. How do we bring this stuff alive in our everyday life? And how do we really go deep while caring for our parents or taking our kids to um, soccer, going to work and everything else that we have to do? And it's really been, it's been a very, this has been evolving for a couple of years, these gatherings, and they've been one of the more affecting things I've ever encountered in my 40 years of this work in terms of deepening my understanding and engagement of the work. So that would be how you find me. And, and just to be clear, the gatherings are a discussion or are they a meditation and a discussion? Um, It varies. So we meet three times a week by zoom and, you know, some people come three times a week and some people come once or twice a month. Um, We meet Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday Pacific time. It varies, you know, some people, um, or it's actually a different day, but Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Tuesday and Thursday, we tend to do a guided practice together, and then I offer a short talk. And there's usually an overarching theme we're working with. On Saturday, it changes, and we do an open practice, unguided practice together, and then we either break into small groups for discussion, or we have an open floor discussion. So you get both guided and unguided practice, formal talks, and more discussion. It's a really, it's been a really affecting and rich balance having that kind of rhythm in the week. Oh, how nice. Yeah. I like that combination. It's a really nice combination. I really value it. Sounds wonderful. I'm actually have to check it out myself. (laughs) NeilMcKinley.com. McKinley with an (laughs) L-A-Y. And I'll make sure and link all of your information in the show notes. Neil, it's been fantastic chatting with you. Yeah. All things meditation. Likewise, Carrie, it's been great. Thanks very much for doing this. Thank you for being here. You're very welcome. Monkey, monkey underpants. Oh my God, I love that so much.
and from the Gilmore Girls. So great. I hope you enjoyed that chat I had with Neil McKinley on all things meditation, how to incorporate it into our lives, being still, being easy on ourselves. You can find Neil McKinley on the interwebs and his website is neilmckinley.com and I will link that in the show notes. There you can find more resources on how to get involved with meditating with him and he has um, a gathering that he hosts three times a week I believe on online so you can be anywhere and that sounds like a really wonderful community to be a part of. Um, I hope too, in having wonderful guests like Neil speak with me, can help you on your journey of being easy on self. If you are delving into meditating, you're new to the practice or have been doing it for decades you know we can always we always have a chance to learn something new the more we reach out or listen to somebody else's journey and that's really I really think that's what it's all about this this life we're we're maneuvering around and experiencing. So keep continuing to ask all the questions. They're all good, by the way, and continue to uh, ask each other and yourselves, may I have this dance?